Hey, and welcome to Bad Decisions, the podcast that helps us understand why we choose what we choose, why we think what we think, and how to exploit this stuff for fun and commercial gain. I'm Dr. Mel Weinberg. I'm a performance psychologist. And I'm Dan Monheit, co-founder of Hard Hat, a creative agency built for today. Let's do this. All right, so Mel, we're going to get right into this one today. Sure. But actually, before we do, like in in this episode, there is like a whole bunch of stuff that may be misconstrued as financial advice, uh, maybe also nutritional advice. So let's just be very, very clear. Do not do anything with your money or with your body purely off our recommendation. If you choose to do stuff based on what, you know, on your own idea, that's fine. Just don't blame us for it. Yeah, this is not financial advice. (laughs) It's good that we're aware of our limitations. Yeah, just some people talking about some stuff. Yeah. All right. So I want to ask you. I want to ask you two questions. Okay. So the first one is: you need to imagine that you are going to go and buy a new stereo. Do people do people still buy stereos? No, no, is no. that a thing? A new iPod? An iPod. All right. So you're going to go buy a new stereo, and you go to the shop, and you park, and you go inside, and you look around, and you find a stereo that you want. And the stereo is going to be five hundred and fifty dollars. That's a that's a big stereo. Yeah, it's a good stereo. Yep. Not like a barbecue, but it's it's still good. So you're at the counter. You're about to pay. I walk into the store and I see you there and I run over. I'm like, hey, Mel, how you doing? And you're like... Hey, Dan. And I'm like, hey, what are you buying? This massive stereo. Yeah, and it's like, how much? 550 bucks. And I was like, oh, you know what? I actually just saw this exact same stereo for $400 where I came from, which is about, I don't know, probably a 10-minute drive from here. Oh, my God. I'm going to go get it. Yeah, $150 saving. Thank you so much. 550 down to 400 You are out the door and you're going to get it. Yeah. Right. Makes sense. Now, let me put you in another scenario. You're about to buy a new car. Mm. You're at the dealership. You've done all the negotiations. You've managed to get him down to $28,400 for your new car. I think. I don't know. I don't know what What's the car, car? Is. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, it's $28,400 and you're about to pay for it. And what do you know? It's your stalker slash friend, Dan. <laughs> and I walk into the dealership. I'm like, hey, Mel, how, what's up? And you're like, Dan, what are you doing here? I'm like, oh, I was just stopping by and I saw you in here. What are you doing? And you're like... I'm about to buy this car. 28400 Great deal. And I'm like, wow, that is a great deal. Except, believe it or not, I was actually just at another dealership, which would probably be, I don't know, maybe 10 minutes away. And they had this exact same car for $28,250. It's like $150 cheaper. What do you yeah. reckon? Oh, 150 bucks. Yeah. Nah. No, nah, I'm it? good. Nah, I'm just going to stick here. Yeah. Now, that's weird, right? Because... Two minutes ago, you were very happy to drive 10 minutes to go and save $150. And now, with some different extraneous variables, you are now not willing to do it. You know what it seems like? What? It seems like I've made a bad decision. seems like you made a bad decision. <laughs> it seems like you've made a bad decision around the idea of mental accounting. Mental accounting. Welcome to the episode. So the questions that you're asking about willingness to spend the same amount of money in different situations is reminiscent of the original questions that Kahneman and Tversky, inspired by Nobel Prize winning economist Richard Thaler, I'm wondering, like, is there a Nobel Prize winning podcaster? I don't know, but if there is, I'm sure they'll call us about it. Definitely. So the questions they posed back in the 80s were with regard to people's willingness to spend money on tickets to see a play. Okay, Mm -hmm. so there's two scenarios. So the first is if you imagine that you've decided to go and see a play and you spent $10 on the ticket. Yeah. And you're walking into the theatre. It's like a school play. Ten bucks is pretty cheap. It's the 80s. Uh, 80s. Okay, cool. So... 
as you're walking into the theater, you realize that cats, yeah. <laughs> something like that. Okay. Yeah. Ten bucks, got it. <laughs> so you're walking into the theater, you realize that you've lost your ticket. Oh no! You're already there though, uh-huh. um, but you've spent ten dollars. You've now lost your ticket. Are you going to pay ten dollars for another ticket? And what happened was that about half the people said, "Nah, I'm out of here. I spent my ten bucks. Well, you know, didn't get to see my play. Too bad. Lost right, my fault. I'm, I'm out." I'm an idiot. So the other situation is that. Imagine you go, you've decided to see a play and you pay on entry, right? So uh, the admission is $10. Yeah. Is this still Cats in 1984? Yeah. Good. So you, as you enter the theatre this time, you put your hand in your pocket and you realise, hang on a second, I had 10 bucks in here and that $10 bill that I had is gone. Gone. Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. But like, are you going to spend $10 and buy a ticket to the play? Well, it's not the and, play's fault I lost $10. Well, and that's what most people say. And so in this situation, 88% of people said, heck yeah, I'm, I'm here to see a play. I'm going to pay 10 bucks. So 88% of people lost ten dollars but were happy to pull out another ten and buy a ticket. Yeah. Whereas only fifty percent of people who had already bought the ticket and then lost the ticket and had to spend another ten dollars on a ticket were willing to do that. <laughs> yeah, I think I think you summed it up yeah. there. Yeah, Let's yeah. hope you summed it up or made it if you made it I'm easier to, to understand or more confusing, I'm, I'm but here either to way. Simplify. That's my main thing. <laughs> so the question is why are so many people unwilling to pay another ten dollars for a new ticket when they would pay it if they'd lost the equivalent amount in cash? Right, because it's the same thing, right? Like at the end of the day, you are down $20 and you are up one ticket to Cats in 1984. Yeah, and the reason has to do with the way that we mentally account for the loss. So in the first scenario, we rationalise that we've paid $10 in exchange for seeing the play, Mm -hmm. right? To us, that's what the play is worth. If we have to buy another ticket, we're paying 20 bucks to see the play. Right. And it's not worth that. And everyone else has only paid 10 bucks, so we feel like we're getting ripped off. Yeah. Whereas in the second scenario, the loss of a $10 bill from our wallet is totally unrelated to seeing the play. Yeah, not the play's fault. That's what I said. Exactly. I told you I'm so helping. the $10 that we pay to see the play is stored in a separate mental account to the $10 yeah. that we lost from our wallet. So even though in both scenarios, the net loss is the same, it's the way that we mentally account for it that messes us up let's be honest it's the way that we mentally account for it that predicts actually our future behavior so i think that the big fundamental concept that us silly humans are missing here is this idea of fungibility oh big word that's a real word too do you want to say it slowly fungibility fungibility i'm actually not sure if fungibility is the correct conjugation of the word but there's an idea that money (laughs) is fungible (laughs) right and fungible means that all money is the same it's completely interchangeable so the ten dollars in your pocket is the exact same as the ten dollars that's now not in your pocket because you lost it is the exact same as the ten dollars that you um spent on a ticket which is the exact same as ten dollars you could have spent at the supermarket all the ten dollars are the exact same all the ten (laughs) dollars yeah and if we realized that money was fungible and completely portable between all of these different ways we could spend it, we'd probably make much better, much more rational decisions, but we don't. We do this weird form of mental accounting. So we often have these things where, like, you'll say things in some language and I'll be like, well, here's how we say it in my language. Yeah. And I, what I'm sort of taking from this is that there's an objective aspect to the amount of money, right, which is that it's $10 or yep. it's $100 or whatever it is, it's that amount of money. And yet, subjectively, we impose some meaning or some value or some interpretation of what that money means to us. And because of that, that directs what we're going to do with it. Exactly. So somewhere between our objective part of our brain and our subjective part of our brain, we decide that all $10 are not the same. And they're actually different. Cool. So in 
unpacking mental accounting, we're sort of going to break it down into like three different theoretical perspectives on it, okay? Mm -hmm. The first has to do with the origins of the money, so where this money has come from. I mean, this is a weird thing, right? Money is money is money, but for some reason, depending on where the money has come from, we tend to think about it differently. For example, money that we've earned through our normal course of our work, the money that turns up in our bank accounts fortnightly or monthly, is spent very differently to money that we just kind of happen upon. Right. So things like a one-time bonus. Yeah, tax returns. Tax returns, great example of this, right? So money that just kind of turns up, maybe if it's money you just found in the street. So objectively, the $1,000 that you just got as a tax return or as a bonus is fungible. It's exactly the same as any other thousand dollars that goes in or out of your account. But we seem to grant ourselves weird permission to kind of spend it more frivolously than other types of thousand dollars. In fact, there's a term for this. It's called house money. So, you know, if you're- House money. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, yeah. Like money in the house. (laughs) It's like, you know, if you're a gambler or you know gamblers and you go in with the money that you start with and then any money you win is like the house money. It's not yours. You never really earned it anyway. So you just spend it kind of differently and yeah, more so freely. It's, it's like there's this trade-off because you didn't really do anything to earn it. You're relieved of the guilt associated with spending it. Exactly. Even though objectively it's the same thousand dollars that probably should go on a credit card or go in your savings account or whatever. We think about it differently and we just flutter it away, flitter it away. We just spend it. We spend it, Whatever. Um, And I guess there's like a political masterstroke in 2009, uh, you know, on the brink of global financial crisis stuff. And Kevin Rudd, our prime minister at the time, just decided, you know what? We'll fix this. $1,000 for everyone. You get $1,000. You get $1,000. You get $1,000, provided your tax returns are up to date. I think it was actually $950, but it was some arbitrary number that just turned up in the bank account of millions and millions of Australians overnight. And let me guess, they all sp- they all saved it, right? They all put it into their long-term savings account so, and took good care of it. So not only did we not <laughs> save it, a lot of us actually spent it twice. So we got told that we're getting $950 into our bank, right, for free, for doing nothing. It's like, woohoo! And free we went money! Out, and we went out and spent $950 on mm-hmm. something. And then six, eight, 12 weeks later, the actual $950 turned up in our accounts and we're like, woohoo, free money. And we went and spent it again. God, we're dumb. But what we did do was stimulate the Australian economy. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, if we had gotten that $1,000 as, you know, $10 little increments over the following two years, it probably wouldn't have had that sort of an impact. Mm-hmm. Um, but getting it as a one time, like, you know, bank error in your favor, Monopoly style. Um, people went out and spent that shit and um, go Australia. Well played, Kevin Rudd. Well played. <laughs> so the next sort of theoretical explanation for mental accounting has to do with the intended purpose of the money. So we make this determination about what the money is for and then that guides how we spend it. Exactly. So again, ignoring fungibility, which is just a word I'm going to try and say as many times as I can in this episode, we kind of designate money to go on different things. So this five dollars here, this is going in a holiday account. See this ten dollars here? Yeah, well, it's it's saving. You know, it's it's a long road. You know, whereas this five dollars here, that's actually for groceries, and there's another ten dollars over here, and that's going for takeaway food. So this causes us to do some weird things. For example, we will set up a savings account because that feels like a good thing to do, and a savings account might be getting say 4% interest. And we do that at the same time as we have like a mortgage, which we're paying 7% interest on. So instead of putting say five grand into our mortgage and not paying 7% interest, we put into a savings account where we do get 4% interest, basically costing us 3% interest. 
but at least we feel like we're saving. We feel like we're saving, but we're not. We're damaging ourselves. Yeah. An even worse example of this, so at least that example, you're getting 4%, but you're paying 7%. Worse examples where people like have a, a coin jar, you know, mm-hmm. a savings jar, which is earning 0%, and they have that instead of paying off a credit card, which they're probably paying like 17% on. So that little savings jar is actually costing you way more than you realize. So it's an interesting irony there to look at the cost of actual saving. Yeah, you're, you're saving money, but it is costing you 3%. Right. So the last explanation that we're going to give for mental accounting is called category spends. And it's the idea that we're going to artificially create different categories within which we'll hold our money. So we're going to have a category that we allow for holiday. We'll have a category that we allow for spending on food. We'll have a category that we allow for indulgences. We'll have a category that will allow for entertainment. And we're really rigid in our willingness to shift money or move money between these categories. Yeah, and what's weird about this is that they're completely arbitrary and the same thing could maybe fit into a few different categories. So let's say you were the zoo, right? And you just you are the zoo, right? (laughs) And you want to promote yourself. Knowing that these category spends exist, right, you might have trouble positioning yourself as a form of entertainment, knowing that, well, people have a mental bucket for what they'll spend on entertainment. And if you want to be in that bucket, then if they went to the movies last week, you're probably not going to get a look in this week. So you're determining who your competition is, essentially. Exactly. So you might say, well, actually, um, people probably have a less indulged in mental bucket for cultural experiences or educational experiences. And so maybe there'd be less competition, less pressure for the same person's money if we put ourselves in that bucket. Right. And going back to sort of what we were talking about before, you were talking about people having literally different bank accounts and having a savings account of, you might have five grand that you keep in your savings account, but meanwhile, you've got 11 grand on your credit card earning interest, right? And there's something though about people feeling good about having that buffer of five grand savings, where it's like, I'm willing, I know that there's 11 grand on my credit card and I know that that is actually costing me but it, it feels good to me. I feel safe and I feel like I'm in control of my world if I have that five grand in savings sitting there as well. And I think that this idea of control comes comes into play a lot with mental accounting. The reason that we break our money and our, our accounts up mentally is because it's really hard to think of our overall net wealth. And so one way that we do it is to break it down into more manageable, smaller components, little artificial buckets, if you will. Yeah. Which is all well and good, except for the fact that when you go on holidays, it's not just the Mel that saved five grand that goes on holidays. It's the Mel that saved five grand, but also has 11 grand on her credit card that goes on holidays. So it is your net person and your net wealth that is the recipient or the beneficiary of all of this stuff. It's a way more fun holiday if we can keep that Mel in debt behind. That she is can true. Just stay at she home. can stay in Melbourne and do some work. <laughs> and I'm going to go shop up a storm over here. All right. So let's talk about what the implications are for brands. All right. If we understand mental accounting, if we know that this is something that happens, then basically if you're a financial institution, then one of the things that you can do is you can allow your customers to store their money in ways that mimic what their brain is doing. So if you know that your customers are mentally dividing their money into different categories, there are financial institutions that will let you break down your accounts into subcategories that reflect exactly what your brain's thinking. Yeah, which I think it's a pretty new thing that banks are letting you do that. And it, it always used to, I always used to find it weird that they wouldn't, that they couldn't let you artificially split one savings account into three or four things, you'd have to go and open completely separate accounts. Mm. So it's good to know that they fixed that. Something else for brands to consider is where you're going to position yourself and even within that positioning, how you're going to break down your offering. So we talked about the zoos just a minute ago about whether the zoos want to be in the bucket for entertainment or the bucket for education. But if you think about, say, an online retailer example, the conventional wisdom is give people free shipping mm. right, and just work it into the overall cost of things. But if 
charging people 10 bucks for shipping and handling lets you reduce the price of a say a pair of shoes from 160 to 150 you're probably going to have a better chance of fitting in that acceptability threshold for that category and the $10 that they're spending on shipping and handling is a separate comes from a different bucket absolutely um the other things that brands can think about number 1 if you can open at the casino the casino is just filled with people who have got money in a short-term sort of windfall kind of way and they're happy to suspend their normal rules for spending and go out and buy new watches and shoes and suits and whatever it is because it's house money. Why wouldn't I spend it? So capitalise on the fact that people have just come into house money. Yeah, exactly. We talked about how to exploit this stuff for fun and commercial gain. So anyway... <laughs> it's can, consistent with our overall theme, so isn't that's it? That's what we promise and we deliver <laughs> what we promise. And look, this last one might be a little bit tricky but... Depending on your customer base, you might have groups of people who all get paid bonuses at a really similar time of year. So that's a thing you might see in law firms or in like financial advisory services, you know, quarterly or end of year bonuses. So you know that bonus money is going to get spent like it's hot. So, you know, position yourself to be there. I'm not saying you should be trolling the um, condolence messages in the local newspaper to find recent widows. Hey, I've just got a massive inheritance. Let me see what I can buy. That is a great time to get somebody into the showroom. Let's move to the individual level now. Respectfully. respectfully, But moving to the individual level now, what do you do as an individual consumer if you know that mental accounting exists? Well, the first thing is you can question your own behaviour, right? So with this understanding that like maybe I'm not willing to maybe maybe like when it comes to petrol like i'm willing to spend up to a dollar 40 on petrol right but that's your arbitrary limit that's my arbitrary limit but if if i see that petrol's at a dollar 44 per liter well no you know what i'm actually going to go for a half hour drive somewhere a little bit further out of the city where i know that it might be about two cents a liter cheaper (laughs) yeah and i'm going to go out there and i'm going to do that stupid decision bad decision mel again yeah right this is like you would fail first year economics because this is a thing called opportunity cost Right. An opportunity cost says there's no such thing as a free lunch because while you're at the free lunch, you are foregoing all sorts of other value creating activities you could do. So in your example, driving around for half an hour is probably going to cost you more than the four cents a liter that you were hoping to save. But it just feels so good to save it. Yeah, because and you've got the buckets. You didn't you didn't <laughs> violate your rule of buckets of a dollar forty per liter. And I stick to the rules, goddammit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so the more that we sort of understand about this and the more that we can catch ourselves in the process of making bad decisions and we can think about do I really want to go ahead with make that bad decision? Hell yes I do or no, I've listened to Dan and Mel. I know the Bad Decisions podcast and I'm smarter than my brain. Exactly. And look, really, I think at the end of the day, this is about zooming out, right? So it's when we're zoomed in or we're in the category or in the purchase decision we're trying to make, we have these rules. But if we just zoom out a little bit and think about stuff in the broader context, often we'll realize that, you know what, like paying two bucks to withdraw $500 from an ATM is not the worst thing that can ever happen. So zooming out is probably a good idea in other parts of our life as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. And like, we're not going to get all spiritual on you people, but... You know, if we think about things like nutrition and diet, I read something really interesting that said, you know, if you're trying to lose weight or get into shape or whatever, what you ate for lunch today doesn't matter. What you ate this month matters. Right. And I think it's the same thing. Like what you spent on coffee today doesn't matter, but what you spent on everything in the last month matters. So a bit of context and a bit of perspective goes a long way here. Exactly. Context, perspective, but not financial advice. We are not giving financial (laughs) advice. But if you do want any sort of advice from us in general, please feel free to hit us up on social media. You can find me at Dr. Mel W. Uh, You can find me at Dan Monheit. And we are both like all over the internet. We're like, yeah, we're all over it. Everywhere. We basically are the internet. Everywhere. We're not. What? <laughs> I think it. I think it's time. You know what I think we did today? You know what I think you did today, Dan? What? I think you put the fun in fungibility. Oh, good one. <laughs> all right, that's a wrap. All right, we're done. <laughs>